The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So did you know that many of you are very strange people? And I don't just mean for the obvious reasons you're thinking of right now. I mean that you're strange in that you're a part of a local church community that in general you enjoy. That, in today's world, is more and more strange. For many people, a growing number of people, church is just weird. At best, it's irrelevant, and it's worst. at worst, it's even dangerous, right? The church at large, we know, doesn't always have a good reputation, and in some ways, we deserve that. You're probably familiar with the, familiar with the regular complaints. What are they? Church is full of hypocrites. It's judgmental. Self-righteous. Yeah. Uh, So Jesus wants to talk to us about that this morning. Did you see that? He wants to talk to us about this morning. And the question I want to raise as we do this is, what could we be like? How beautiful could it be if we really let Jesus form us in these things? How could we be so different? And, and you know what? We need this. We need this. It's, we need it from a larger outside world to how they see the church kind of thing. We need this. We need to show them uh, what Jesus is talking about here. But we also need it in this room. You need this in your room, in, in, in the church sanctuary and how you view and treat other believers in Christ. You need this in your living room with your family members. You need this in your relationships, your, your marriages, your parenting. We, we need this so deeply. This is Jesus' kingdom culture for how his people relate to others. And we're going to see Jesus say, you need integrity of heart. That's what he's talking about, integrity of heart. You familiar with the word integrity? Um, it has the idea that you're holding together well. You're put together consistently. It has the idea you're not this way in one setting and that way in another setting. You're not this way on the outside but that way on the inside. You're the same through and through and it holds together well. And so Jesus wants integrity of heart. We're finishing, uh, we're continuing our study in Luke's gospel. We're finishing Jesus' sermon uh, about the culture of his kingdom. Integrity of heart is what we're gonna look at. Jesus teaches it, he demands it, He also supplies it. And so we're going to see the need for integrity of heart towards others. We're going to see the need for integrity of heart in yourself and the need for integrity of heart towards him. Towards others, in yourself, towards him. And so will you just, are you willing for Jesus to lovingly call you a hypocrite? Are you willing to listen to him? Are you willing to look for where that might be true and just see, because as, as we get through this, he's, he's not doing this to, um, to ruin you. He's doing this to love you. He's doing this to, to reform you and make you more and more beautiful in his image. So I just wanna, I wanna humble myself before this word that we could all humble ourselves and listen. You know, this is one of those read your own mail kind of sermons. You know what read your own mail means? Here's, here's what it means. It means you're gonna listen to this and you're gonna think of four other people who could really use this message. You might sit next to somebody and be like, you know, he's talking to you, okay? 
This is a read-your-own-mail sermon. Guess who, guess who Jesus wants to talk to? Each one of us should answer with this, me. Go ahead and say it. Jesus wants to talk to me. So let Jesus talk to you today, and don't let your mind go to, oh, yeah, they could really, no, stop, stop. Just, I'm going to let him try to talk to me, and hopefully as I try to walk through this, he can talk to you. Because if he can form this in us more and more, we'll be more and more beautiful, so beautiful. Um, so let's begin. Here we go. Integrity of heart first towards others. You heard these words, 37 to 38, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give. And then Jesus gives this illustration of a measure, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, this measure. So, so think of this idea of a measure in the old world, say, uh, you go to buy some grain, okay, and you pay however much the money is for one container of grain. So I put some grain or whatever in there, and I'd measure it. I'd sweep it off the top, okay? So a measure, that's fair. And a, a strict measure would be, you know, I'm not going to let one little piece of grain go over the lid there. You know, I'm taking my knife, and I'm, I'm scraping it right over. I'm going to give you what you deserve, but I'm only going to give you what you deserve. A strict measure, and so that's great for selling grain. It's poisonous for relationships. It's poisonous for relationships. Last week we saw how natural and normal it is for human beings to love those who love them, be good to those who are good to them, forgive those who say sorry to them, and welcome, them who, welcome those who think the same. And Jesus says, big deal. What grace is there in that, he said last week. So if you need help in loving your enemies, check that one out. I need to listen to it again, evidently. Um, what grace is there in that, he says. So it's, it's normal to have kind of this strict measure in how you view and see others. So again, the economic thing, you fill the grain, you, you make it fair. I'm going to... I'm not going to give you any more. I'm going to give you what you deserve, but no more. I'll give it to you. That's okay, fine, with buying grain. But is that the way we treat others? In other words, I'll give you what you deserve, no more. Jesus is recommending we do not have hearts that measure others strictly. Uh, look at what he says. Don't judge them. Don't judge them. What does that mean? What's the attitude? You know what they're like. You know they fall short based on your standard. And so you can kind of write them off. And the idea when you do that is, why did you judge them? You probably didn't work it out this explicitly in your mind. But here's why you judge them. They deserved it. Of course. You used a strict measure. You get what you deserve. And, and you didn't deserve this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you for that. Or Jesus says, don't condemn. What's it mean to condemn? Uh, that's even, that takes it to the next level, right? You're, you're labeling someone as decisively unworthy of your love, of forgiveness, of relationship, condemned as an outsider or wicked. I'm done with them. You're using a strict measure. Why did you condemn people when you condemned them? Because they deserved it. That's the way you felt, right? You used a strict measure. Or he says, forgive. Are there certain people you struggle forgiving? Why did you struggle to forgive them? Because they didn't deserve it. 
They didn't deserve it. They didn't apologize in the way you thought they should have. Or maybe they didn't apologize at all. Well, I'm not forgiving them because you're treating them the way they deserve. That's a strict measure. I'll give you what you deserve and I won't give you any more. Or Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. This is in the context of loving your enemies. Love generously. And there's some people like, well, I'm not serving them anymore. I'm not giving them to them anymore. Not like that. Why? Because they don't deserve it. You're using a strict measure. A strict measure shows no mercy. A strict measure shows no mercy. And Jesus says, if you, if you claim to be one of my disciples and you use a strict measure towards others, you're being a hypocrite. If you show a strict measure in your heart towards others, you're being a hypocrite. Why? Well, number one, he says not to do it. Wouldn't that be enough? <laughs> Forgive. Why, Jesus? I said so. Okay. <laughs> Shouldn't that be your heart if he's your Lord? But he gives you more than that. He gives you far more than that. Look, raise the question. You don't want to give mercy to some kinds of people, but raise the question, how much mercy do you need? How much mercy do you need? How would life go for you if people always treated you exactly as you deserve every time? Would you like that? Moreover, how much mercy do you need from God Almighty? How much mercy do you need? Look at this verse Jesus said in Luke 6.35. We just looked at this last week. Luke 6.35, Jesus said, but what? Love your who? Enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting what in return? Nothing. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High, for he is kind to the who? The ungrateful and the evil. Verse 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. So the very reason God will call you child, son, or daughter, it's not because you earned it. It's because he gave you mercy. He gives you mercy. I didn't deserve his love, but he gives it. So this is, this is huge wisdom for Jesus. Look at this promise in verse 38. Verse 38, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So if you want to use a strict measure, okay, fine, guess what you're going to get? A strict measure. Enjoy that. But if you want to use a merciful measure, overflowing love, spilling over the top, giving way more than people deserve, guess what you'll get to enjoy? A merciful measure. It tends to be true with others, doesn't it? If you're, if you're judgmental, condemning, bitter, and miserly towards others, how will they tend to respond to you? You'll get away, right? They'll tend to treat you the same way. Isn't that part of why church sometimes has a bad reputation? This is the way we come across. It is. So it's true from others that the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. It's also true when it comes to God in some way. It's a fair question to say, if you refuse to show mercy, have you really tasted God's mercy? 
If you refuse to forgive others, it's a fair question. Have you really known his forgiveness? So we want to use a merciful measure, which that's what Jesus is saying. Don't judge. Don't judge. Now, now, now some people want to say this as you can never disagree with someone or tell them they're wrong. Do you think that's the proper instruction here? I, I wonder if somebody went, Jesus, you're judging us right now. <laughs> or or uh, how, ironic, how ironic is it when somebody says, you're judging. Are you judging me for judging? Because that would be fun, right? Th- that breaks down real quick, right? Of course it's not disagreeing or saying something's wrong. Jesus does that all the time. Even as Christians, we are supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to speak the truth. He's not saying don't ever tell somebody they're wrong. That doesn't make any sense. But he is saying don't be self-righteous as if you don't need loads of mercy. He is saying don't write people off as unworthy of your love and respect. Don't judge in that self-righteous way. He is saying don't condemn as if you're the ultimate good judge like God is and you know the whole story. Don't condemn. Instead of judging and condemning, what should you do? Forgive. Do you see how these two things juxtapose? He says, don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Instead of judging, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Lavishly forgive, quickly forgive. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, and then give generously. Don't just forgive those who have hurt you. Love into their lives generously as you can. Give generously and look at at Jesus' promise. Verse 38 Give and what? It will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. This is a merciful measure. Do you see how Jesus wants to give to you? First of all, it's good measure, so the, so the thing is, is full. And then he's like, oh, but it's not enough. And so he's like digging himself into there, trying to squish it down, you know, so he can fit more goodness in for you. And then that's not even enough. He's going to shake it together so he can press it down some more. And then he's going to pour more on it. And it's just like a waterfall of stuff. He's given to you. In the old world, you'd use your cloak on your lap. So you're just, you're sitting in your chair and the guy's just dumping whatever you've bought. And you're like, I only bought, you know, this much. And he's just like, you know, taking the bag. That's how Jesus treats his people. Just loading you with mercy. Read the prom- Read Ephesians 1. He wants to bless you with every spiritual blessing. We, we sang in a song today, we're heirs with Christ. He's giving you his kingdom. He's giving you himself. God is a, such a generous God, such a merciful God, there's not words for it. As high as the heavens are above, he just, he just gives. And so do you see how integrity of heart means? If you're one of these people who is receiving this kind of mercy, from God, integrity of heart towards other means, what are you gonna show? Mercy. You're gonna have a merciful measure towards others. That's what it means to have an, a, a heart of integrity when it comes towards others as one of Jesus' disciples. We're gonna see another way we need a heart of integrity towards others. 39, verse 39. He told them a parable, shortest parable in the Bible. You ready? Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? Okay. 
Are you catching the idea? Um, A blind guy should know there are some things he can't see. And so therefore, he should not lead the charge across the field full of pits. Follow me, everybody. And I'm just like, yes, sir. And we're all blind, and we're walking through the field of pits, and then soon we're all, ah. You know, I, at, a, at a class I was at recently, there, one of the students was blind. Incredibly smart young man. Incredibly courageous young man. But he was usually not the one to lead the charge across a busy street. Because there are many things he sees but he sees enough about himself to know where he's blind. And so Jesus is saying here, and I do think it's meant for community, you need to be very careful who it is that's deeply influencing you. But moreover, we're about to get into how you influence others. He, needs, he says you need to be very careful about how you influence others. Do you think you can see And do you know where you're blind? The blind man who wants to lead his friend across the street should remember that in some ways he's blind. So this is one of those things you see but don't see. You know but don't know. The blind man should know he sees some things but not everything. And he should admit that. And not go in teaching like he sees everything. So... Can a blind man lead a blind man? No, you'll fall into a pit. Verse 40, a disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. So be careful. Be careful who it is that influences you the most. Can they, can they really see what they say they see? But even more, be careful in how you influence others. Can you see what you need to see? Because who we follow, who we trust most, we can only go as far as they take us. They might lead us into a pit. Then we get to one of the best stories in the Bible, look at the best parables. Look at this verse 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? That's so, so awesome. This is really funny. First of all, what is it that we're really good at seeing? Verse 41. The speck that's where? It's in somebody else's eye. I mean, this is amazing. How many of you have telescopic vision when it comes to other people's faults? Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, yep. Yep. I mean, telescopic. Any of you have like a fault radar? You got your spec experts. You could, you could write a paper right now that's like 40 pages long of all the faults of other people. Okay. I know some of us could. I've read them. We're good at seeing other people's Faults, gifted discernment, right? We got the tweezers out. We're running after people, getting them in a headlock. I'm gonna get your speck out, okay? And then here's where Jesus is just hilarious and shocking. You're seeing other people's specks brilliantly. You're just missing one small thing. The telephone pole that is jutting out of your forehead, The word here is beam that would hold a house together. So it's literally half a telephone pole. So if you can imagine me like with a a pole this fat going 30 feet out and I'm like trying to get to you and I've got my tweezers out and I'm like, come here, I'm going to get the speck. And you're like getting smashed with the log coming out of my head. 
I can't even turn around in a room because it's raking into the sides of the walls. Is Jesus saying you shouldn't help other people with the speck in their eye? Look at, no, he's not. Verse 32, if you take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to what? Take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are supposed to help one another with the specks in the eye. We are supposed to speak into one another's lives. We absolutely are. But something needs to happen first. Don't be the blind God. Don't be the blind God. Remember, the blind guy, is, he's blind to what he doesn't see. What is it that we don't see? We don't see the log. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean? We don't see the log. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Some people take this thing to mean like you can't tell somebody else not to gossip while you're still like robbing banks. You know, you've got big bad hairy sins. They've got more respectable sins. So quit your big bad hairy sins first. Then you can talk to them about their little sins. Is that what he's saying? It doesn't really work in context because he's talking to his disciples. I don't think everybody there is massively worse than everyone else in the world. And he's saying, you stop robbing banks, then you can talk about gossip. That's not what he's saying. What is the log, then, that you have to see before you can help other people? Well, I want to say two things. Number one, it's your own deep sinfulness. It's your own deep sinfulness. There's something we tend to forget when we're obsessing about other people's sins. Do you remember, can you, can you imagine what it is? It's your own sin. My wife, my wife and I were talking about this in the context of our marriage. If, uh, if we're upset with each other, now I, I can't ever get upset with her because there's nothing really to get upset about, right, baby? She's like, why do you do this to me? Um, <laughs> But we were talking about how when we're uh, in an intimate relationship, right? When you're upset with someone, boy, you can see what it is that they do or they don't do. And I can see it like with 3D vision. I can see it so clearly. And I'm forgetting something. I sin too. Not only do I do sins, S-I-N-S, deeds, I have a sin nature problem I'm inclined towards. And so I can forget my need for mercy, my part of the problem. I'm, I'm giving a strict measure when I need an overflowing one. And so to really help people, I have to be very aware. I have to see my log, my sin thing, okay? Doesn't this happen in a church community? Uh, have, you ever, have you ever caught yourself a little bitter I got one sister with me. The rest of you, you're not honest. When you find yourself a little bitter, right, those, those people, they just, what was it, right? They didn't, they didn't say something right. They didn't do something right. Or they said something or they did something. And you're just a little bitter and you're thought, I don't even know if I want to be there anymore. What uh, You can see their speck with such clarity. I'm not saying the speck's not there, but you're missing what? The log of the sin of your own poor response to the moment. What does Jesus tell you to do when your brother or sister sins against you? Do you remember? Forgive. 
If it's bothering you enough, do you think it's a problem in their life? What does Jesus tell you to do? Talk to them. What does Jesus tell you to do with people that are hard for you? Bear with them. And so I'm seeing all their sins and all their reasons to neglect them or abandon them or move away from them, and I am totally ignoring all of his commands to me on how to respond to someone else's sin. There is a log jutting out of my face. Wow. And so when we see the speck, the speck is important. It's important, and we do need to help one another with the specs, but first, take the log out, and what that means is remember the reality, the reality of your sin, your need for his mercy, and what it means to be faithful and obedient in the moment. When you've done that, when you've dealt with it, now you can see to faithfully and actually help someone else as a fellow sinner turning to Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing he just said? I want to think about tools for getting rid of sin. How do you get rid of a speck in somebody's eye? You going to use a jackhammer? What are you going to use? I don't know, but it would be so delicate, wouldn't it? It would be a Q-tip or something. It would be so gentle. How do you deal with a log in the wrong place? Right? This is an emphasis thing. How do you approach other people's sin? Gently, kindly, delicately. How should you approach your own sin? Let's kill that mess. You see the difference? Your, your main priority is not the speck. Your main priority is your log. You treat a speck differently than you treat a log. So Jesus is talking about integrity of heart towards others. Integrity of heart towards others. We don't want to obsess with their sins. We should help one another in Christian community. But our main thing should be our own log. So we want integrity in our hearts towards others. We want integrity in our hearts within ourselves. Look at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What is Jesus trying to get us to do here? What's he want us to see? Use another illustration, right? All these simple illustrations. Um, you think of your life as a tree, and you bear, what do you bear? You bear some sort of fruit, and then I guess you're supposed to ask yourself, am I full of strawberries or like thorns? And what does that mean? What does the fruit represent, do you think? Uh, isn't it your, your lifestyle? All of your life. Um, fruit, biblically speaking, is about obedience it's about love. You can think of the fruit of the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit fruit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the rest. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit looks like service to one another. It looks like kindness. Read all the, the Christian lifestyle texts in the epistles. It, fruit is how you talk to one another. Fruit is how you think and what you love. Okay, so it's, it's the stuff that comes out, but your fruit shows 
Jesus wants to take you deeper and past just activity. Look at verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his what? Heart produces good. The evil person out of his treasure, out of his what kind of treasure? Evil treasure produces evil. Where did your lifestyle deeds and habits come from? Your heart, your core self, and Jesus says your treasure's in there. What what does treasure do? What does that teach you? It's what you love. It's what you value. It's what you want deeply. It's what you want deeply. And so Jesus says, look at yourself and look for integrity. Look at your lifestyle. How do you spend your time? What do you do with your money? What are you living for? What do you want? Look at that. Look at that. If somebody looked at your life, what would they say? Now look into your heart. What does it show you that you love the most? Have a, have a, have a look at who you are, what you do, and what you want, and then ask yourself, is there integrity there? Because he gives these pictures of a tree, right? And why are you frustrated? I'm frustrated too. Because what do you see in the fruit of your life? And a couple thorns too. Is anybody else seeing that? Are you going... Jesus, you're frustrating me because you gave me this good, evil dichotomy, and I feel like I'm I'm on the spectrum somewhere, but I'm not like way over into a total good tree. Anybody else there? Is Jesus talking about perfectionism, that, hey, if you're his disciple, you'll quit sinning forever and ever, instant perfection? No way. There's plenty of verses that tell you that's that's crazy, plus our experience. I've never met anyone like that. So, so what does he want you to do then? Well, check for integrity. Check for integrity. Questions. These are questions for you, you and Jesus. What do you love the most? And I think the next question is, is it me? Is it my kingdom? Are you willing to, to live for me, to die for me? Is your Tuesday afternoon for me? Your Sunday morning? Your Saturday night? Is every single relationship for me? Look at your fruit. What kind of tree are you? Are you, are, you, are you a me tree? Do you belong to Jesus? Is it Jesus fruit? Or when you look at the scope of this big picture, do you go, I don't know. But he, he's asking for integrity of the heart, isn't he? Look at your integrity. Are you mine? It reminds us that Christianity is not a hobby thing. It's not a, hey, hit a, hit a service sometimes thing. It's an, it's an everything, everywhere, all the time thing. Always, it's an always thing to honor Jesus. Just look. What kind of tree are you? Integrity towards others, integrity within ourselves, and integrity towards Jesus himself. We're gonna look at verses 46 to 49. Jesus tells another little, uh, little parable, story of two houses. You've heard this before, haven't you? Um, house number one, it's a nice house, um, but it has its foundation on a rock, which means it has integrity. It holds together. And when the storm comes on this house that has integrity, the house can handle it. No big deal. It has integrity. There's another house too. It looks the same as the other house. Uh, Maybe even has a better view. It's waterfront property. (laughs) It's built beautifully, but its foundation is not on rock. 
It's on sifting, movable sand. There's, there's no integrity from top to bottom. It looks good, but it's not stable. The storms come, you know the story. Utter chaos splashes into nothing. It's broken. So that's your parable. Now, what do these things stand for? What's the house? Your life. It's your life. This, this is a serious story. Your life. Do you want your life to be stable and joyful and to last even through judgment day and into eternity? You could have two houses that both look good. They go to the same church. And one has integrity. And the other one, man, when the storms come, slop on judgment day. I don't even know you. What's the difference between the two houses? It's the foundation. One is on the rock, one is on the not rock. What does is, what is the rock and the not rock stand for? Jesus says it very clearly, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? Read the next phrase with me. And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me hears my word, what's the next phrase? And does them. I'll show you what he's like. Integrity means you don't just call Jesus Lord. That's a good thing. Call him Lord. You don't just hear his words. That's a good thing. You hear his words. But you call him Lord. You hear his words. And you do them. That means you really trust him. You have integrity in your heart towards Jesus. You don't just call him a savior and then forget about him. You don't just give him the name Lord, but then not really follow through. You honestly trust him, you believe him, and you hold to his words, and you want to do them. Not perfectly, but genuinely, truly, and you'll have integrity. But if you're just, oh yeah, I like Jesus, and yeah, I've heard his words, I even read them sometimes, but you don't actually, what, do them, do you really know him? Do you really trust him? I heard this illustration once. I think it's simple and powerful. I got two words for you. Here's my slide with two words. On one side, you have the word Lord. On the other side, you have the word no. Now pick one. Pick one. Because if you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, then what can you not say to him? No. And if you say no to Jesus continually over time, guess what he is not to you? Lord. So Jesus is saying, integrity towards me. Am I your Lord all the way down? All the way down. And it matters, doesn't it? Nobody wants to be the house whose life goes, we fall apart, there wasn't integrity. We were hypocrites. You know, in the old world, hypocrite just meant actor. All it meant was actor. You acted one way. It's great, it's fine to be an actor in a movie, but don't do it with your, with your life. There's just an actor, I look one way. I claim Jesus is Lord, I look religious, but it hasn't hit my heart his mercy hasn't hit my heart towards others. I don't look for integrity within myself, and I don't have integrity towards Jesus. 
So as we stand before his words, how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Uh, some of us might be feeling like, I didn't know Jesus was like this. So we're, we're taking this in. Others of us, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I'm like, I want this, but oh, I'm a little worried that this isn't quite where it should be. Are any of you feeling like that? I want this Jesus, but I'm, he's, 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 so, um, he's so stark in this message. Good tree, bad tree, right? Merciful measure or not. Are, are you built on me or not? And here's where we need to remember the end of the book. You know what Jesus does for all his disciples at the end of the book? He dies for them. Why? Because they didn't do all the things in the sermon. <laughs> and they haven't. That's why he dies for them. Jesus is the only one who's lived a life of perfect integrity, right? Do you believe that? He's the only one. He's the only one who always loved God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, top down every time. Only one. Jesus is the only one that's always loved his neighbor. Amen? He's the only one who's done it. And yet that's the one who was undone on the cross. Think of this parable. The storms came. The storms of God's wrath came on Jesus. And they undid him. They ripped him apart. He died on a cross. But he rose to give us new life. He rose full of mercy to those who repent and trust themselves to him. Jesus says over and over again in Luke, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who come to God and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what this sermon does for me? It brings me back to his feet and I say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, good news for, good news for you. That's who I came to save. Humble, repentant, doesn't judge us because he paid for our sin. You realize Jesus doesn't condemn us because he's given us his righteousness. Jesus is the only one who's kept the sermon. Jesus forgives us all our sins and doesn't he give mercy on mercy and grace upon grace overflowing into our lap even though we don't deserve it? Jesus died on the log of my sin to pull it out. Jesus is the one we can trust. Who, who's the one teacher who's not blind about anything? Who's the one who says, follow me, I can see? Jesus. Who's the one that wants your house built on a rock and he's given himself to you in every way? Know my love, hear my truth. Jesus will build us into a people of integrity as we come to him humbly. Don't you believe that? He will move us into this. So trust him, trust what he's done for you. Trust yourself to his integrity, his life, his death, his resurrection, his faithfulness. And because you know his love for you, because you know his mercy to you, let him build you up into a person of integrity that shows mercy to others. Why? Because you've been shown such mercy that has integrity within yourself, why? Because you, you love Jesus, you want to belong to him. That is integrity towards Jesus as Lord. You're putting his words into practice. And as I close here, I just want to ask this question. Wouldn't this be a nice family to live in? Wouldn't this not be a nice marriage to be in with hearts like this? Wouldn't this be a great church to be a part of? Wouldn't, wouldn't people who come into contact with hearts like this go, that was different. 
They didn't judge me. They didn't condemn me. They forgave me. They gave to me. They served me. They were honest with me, but they were humble about it. They knew they were broken, and man, they sure loved Jesus. May we be like that, huh? In his grace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fofcrc.com.